All right, good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's great to be here. I was really trying to pay attention to the words in worship today, try to be encouraged. I don't know why it's so scary coming up here, but it is. But I was also thinking about, I think it was Franklin Roosevelt during the war that said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, and that's what I'm afraid of. So, but uh, walking up here is the hardest part. Uh, but, uh, you know, my objective... Whenever Rich asks me to teach, you know, I want to be faithful. I mean, my flesh says, you know, let somebody else do it, you know. But I do want to be faithful, and I want to serve my pastor. I want to serve God. I want to serve, you know, the fellowship here. So I do things that are uncomfortable. I guess public speaking is one of the scariest things. But uh, as, you know, as I said, the words that we were worshiping today really help. The focus is on God. It's not on me. It's on his word. And Whenever Rich asks me to teach, I, I, I prefer to do something on what I'm already thinking about. There's always a subject that I'm thinking about. I mean, you know, as Christians, I'm sure you think about God and Jesus a lot, hopefully. So I'm always thinking, you know, what's going on? I want to know more. And so uh, that is my uh, focus today is... Uh, on God, <laughs> we're in church, you know, Christian church, I'm going to speak about God, I'm going to speak about Jesus, how radical is that? Uh, but Jesus, uh, I'll tell you one thing that was the impetus for this is that during the summer, uh, our church was giving out New Testaments uh, from the New Living Translation, so I just thought I'd read that, and the phrasing was, so it's pretty close to NIV, but it was just a little bit different that I was able to get a new perspective. It just, it just read a little bit, little bit more modern and just helped me just really to, to see things in a different light. And that's the f- fantastic thing about the Bible and why you can never stop reading it. Mm-hmm. The words never change, but the application and how it, how it feeds you and how, how that relationship between you and, God and you and God can change just by reading uh, verses over and over again. Uh, so... Really, my thought focuses on God in regards to eternity, uh, eternity past, uh, up to creation, and looking forward. And how much can we know or understand about God? Really, only what is written in His Word. That's what we can know about God. But I want I want to know more, and so I think about things that I can't get any answers to. Um, some things we do know. Uh, for instance, in, in Matthew 6, 9, which is the Lord's Prayer, we know that God is our Father. It says, our Father who art in heaven, our Father who is in heaven. He is our Father. Uh, we also can know uh, that uh, Jesus is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. In Luke one thirty seven, it says, nothing is impossible for God. And we know that God is spirit. Uh, you know, Jesus was given an earthly body. We have earthly bodies, but God is spirit. He has no need for a physical body. In John four twenty four, it says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We also know through God's word that God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. There's nothing that happens that God doesn't know because God creates all things. And Romans 11.33 talks about 
the depths of riches in wisdom and knowledge of God. So we can know God deeply by praying and asking for wisdom and by searching his scriptures and, and seeking him out. We also can know that God, through his word, he's knowable. Ephesians 1.17 talks about praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So if you want to know God more deeply, then you can pray and ask for that wisdom. We also know uh, through his word that God is approachable. Uh, I'll just go uh, a little bit off track just for a second. You know, I was brought up in the Catholic Church, and I don't, I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying that the perception that I had of God was that he was really scary, and I really didn't want to approach him because all I knew was sin and judgment and fire and purgatory and hell. That's all I ever heard. So to me, God was scary. But we know God is our Father, and he's approachable. In John, I said in James 4.8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Just like a friendship you have. You want a friendship with someone, you have to draw near to them. Draw near to God. Seek him out. Look, look for the better things. And we know that God is love. Now, the world's interpretation that God is love is really misguided because they assume that God loves everyone as he does, say, in his own word, God so loved the world. But they assume that no matter what we do, no matter what we believe, no matter what we have faith in, and when we die, God's going to say, oh, that doesn't matter, just I love you. But God is a God of judgment. But for those who believe and trust in Jesus, he is a God of love. And in 1 John 4, 16, it says, And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. So these are just some things. We can know a lot about God by looking at his word, and that's all we can really say uh, for sure. We, we can speculate and I think it's okay to speculate on things. Like It's okay to speculate what heaven will be like. Now, God says we can't, you'll never know. You'll never guess. You can't imagine. But we can try to understand. And, you know, there have been a lot of books written. People have died and gone to heaven. And none of them are the same. They're all different. Uh, so I don't really put much stock in that. But I like to think about heaven, what it might be like. But who knows? So, But I also like to think about God and things that I can't know. And like I said, I can... Ask questions, and I can wonder, but I, I, we can't really know. Um, I just want you to turn to Genesis 1.1. Uh, I'm not doing a study in Genesis, and I know you all know the verse, and you don't really need to turn there, but it's, I think it's better if you look at it. Um, and, you know, like I said, you know the verses without even opening. It says, uh, in the beginning. And... I know there's, there's a lot of debate about what the beginning is and all that, and I'm not going to debate that either. Um, but it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, again, I know there's a debate here on what happened between verse 1 and verse 2, and I'm not debating that. But I, want, I just wonder, God has no... There's no time in, in heaven. God, God is timeless. You can't say that God is old. He, he has no age. But I think about eternity past. Like how far back did eternity past go? 
Well, we don't know. I just like to think about it because it, it blows my mind. And how far forward does eternity go? Well, it never stops. And just like space, you, you look up at the Hubble space uh, photographs and you see how big space is. And I think, well, how can it be so big? You'd think you'd run out of space. <laughs> but if you ran out of space, what would be after that? It would be nothing. So, I mean, I think about these things, usually when I'm trying to sleep, and so I don't sleep, but I can't, I can't know these things, but it just inspires my love and appreciation for God and who he is. God is timeless. And, he, it, and I, just, I, do, I do want to point out one thing. Like I said, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says, verse 2, Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. As I said, there, there's, there's a debate, and some people you know, say you know, there was a, a big expanse, there was a space of time in there, there wasn't a space of time. Those things are, are really irrelevant, because when you get into those mindless debates, I think it takes away from the truth. We can't know a lot of things, but like I said, I think we can imagine and wonder uh, what God was like eternity past, what is, where is he now in heaven, and what will the future be like? So Hebrews 11.3 says, The universe was created by God's command so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. And so by faith, that's something we believe. We believe that. Now, how is it possible? Here's a question I ask myself. How is it possible that a being exists that has no beginning? I, I can't understand that. It's, in my world, it's impossible. Because in this world, everything has a beginning and an end, and everything is confined by space. But God is timeless, spaceless, omniscient, omnipotent. He has no... So, but if the thing is, I know he exists. I know that. We see, his, we see him. You know, people say, prove to me there's a God. Well, I think, what are you, blind? <laughs> uh, really, I mean, prove to me there's a God. Prove to me there isn't. I mean, I see God everywhere. So I can't understand how that's possible, but if, if it wasn't possible, he wouldn't be God. So God can't have a beginning or an end, or he wouldn't be God. So he is God. He has no beginning or end. And he created all the universe from things that weren't seen, weren't visible. They weren't, they weren't created until they were created. You know, I was watching, last year I saw a program on PBS you know, it was, it, was, it was led by one, uh, a leading astrophysicist. I forgot his name. I'm sure you all know him. But, you know, they have answers. They have answers to all this. And they were showing the timeline of creation and where we stand and all that. And what they believe is that all the elements in the universe it, were once condensed down into the size of something you could, a ball you could hold in your hand. And they, they say, and he's holding out a ball and say that. And so they believe that. But I would say, well, where did the elements come from? But they, they just see, they, they can't ever really go back. They, they, they have to pick up in process. So, okay, they, they, they agree the elements exist. And here they are, they're in a ball. And there was the Big Bang Theory. And it exploded, you know. Well, what caused it to explode? They never answer those questions because they can't, because they don't believe that God is the creator. But God, in somewhere in eternity created the elements, the periodic table, all the things. He created them out of nothing, 
created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The six days of creation. On the sixth day, he created mankind. What's his purpose? Because he loved. He wanted to love. He wanted children that he could love. That was his main purpose. God can do anything he wants, but he's a God of love. He wanted children to love. Some of you have children, you love them. We have cats, we love them. It's, you want to love. We want to love as people. But God, his love is deeper and greater, and he wanted children to love. And very interesting, last week, Justin was teaching, and he read a verse. He did Psalm 90, and it was interesting because I had already had that verse down. Psalm 90, verse 2 says, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. From eternity to eternity, the, there, he is God. So as I said, you know, what about before the beginning? How long? I can't, I can't know these things. I, I think it's fun to think about, but if, if you can't get bogged down in trying to debate those with people who don't believe. Uh, but I like to think about those things. Uh, again, God's primary purpose in creation was to love. Um, and so... What was God's, uh, how would God express that love to his, his people? Well, he created uh, the world, an atmosphere, you know, people, animals, the whole thing. Mankind, Garden of Eden, we fall into sin. Now, God knows all those things, right? He didn't tempt us. Adam and Eve weren't tempted by God in the garden. They were given free will because God doesn't want a bunch of robots. He had angels. Angels were created in his presence. They saw him from their very existence, and even some of them fell. But he didn't want to create robots. He wants children who choose to love him. Now, we'll get into a little bit later that we need a little help uh, but he sent Jesus, okay? You know the whole story from Adam and Eve, Israel and all their struggles. Now we know in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. So we know that Jesus is the Creator. He is the Word. That is, we really can't understand the true relationship of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We know they're, they're all equal. They're not three different God, gods. They're one God. But we, that's another thing we can think about, but if you try to explain it or debate it or understand it, it's beyond our understanding. You know that God is God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but there's some kind of relationship between the Father and Jesus where, Jesus, where the Father has given Jesus dominion over the earth. So he gave him the, the purpose of creating the heavens and the earth and then coming to be the Savior. Now, Hebrews 1.1 says, Long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, so we are in the last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact expression of his nature, 
sustaining all things by his powerful word. And so as you read through the New Testament, you'll find out if you want to know God and see God, you look at Jesus because we can't see God. But when we, when we see Jesus in the New Testament, you can see God because Jesus' purpose was to glorify the Father and to bring his people to him. So if we want to know God better, we need to know him. We can know him best through Jesus. And 1 Timothy 6.15 says, King of kings, Lord of lords, the only immortal God dwelling in approachable, in unapproachable light. In Ephesians, uh, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians 1. Here it is. Ephesians 1, 3 to 8. It talks about being chosen by him. In uh, Ephesians 1, uh, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So we know from this verse that if you are a believer, you are chosen by God. So that steers up the debate about you know, predestination, election. We know they both exist. Uh, and there are some who choose to make that a stumbling block. They want to debate it. Yes, we have free will. The Bible says we have free will. We have the ability to choose God or reject God. But God also says that we're chosen. They both exist. We can try to debate them. Churches have been split over that. But they both exist. That's both true. You have free will. Free will. You can reject God or accept Jesus. Some of you here have accepted Jesus. Maybe some of you haven't. Well, you haven't because you've rejected Jesus. It's not because God say no, you know, the God hasn't stopped you. If, you, if you. if you hear and haven't accepted Jesus, that's your choice. You have free will. And if you accept Jesus, then you'll be chosen. As I said, churches have been split because of that, but they both exist. They're both true. You have free will. You can choose or not choose. But if you're a believer, then God has chosen you before even creation. This was the discussion between the Father and the Son before the universe was created. You know, they had some kind of a discussion where, you know, God says, I'm going to create people and he, these are them. I'm going to give them to you. I want these. These are my children. And so Jesus comes to be the good shepherd. And, you know, we are compared to being sheep. And I don't think, you know, we know they always, people always say, well, sheep, that's because sheep are dumb. And that, I don't think that's the analogy at all. It's just because the shepherd 
his job was to watch over and protect the sheep. And the sheep needed the shepherd. All they knew is that if they were hungry to eat some grass, that's all they need to know. They don't need to know anything else. Jesus, the shepherd, would protect them at night and during the day, lead them to water, lead them to, to the fields to, to graze. So Jesus is the good shepherd. And this is what really uh, I've really been thinking about. If you turn to John chapter 10, John chapter 10 is one place where uh, Jesus is being described as the good shepherd. And so he's speaking, he's teaching, and in those days people really understood sheep. And that's why he's using an analogy that may not be as familiar to us, because we don't have sheep. But in those days, caring for livestock was, was a common thing, and people understood what he was talking about. In verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate... But, by, but climbs in some of the way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so what he's talking about here is the uh, sometimes when uh, the sheep were brought uh, into the city, they would share a common uh, sheepfold. And sometimes there would be uh, one shepherd who was appointed to watch over the flocks, and they would be mixed uh, so that uh, the other shepherds could go attend to, to business and give them a little time off there. And what would happen was... Apparently, sheep, there was a relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. There would be a particular song that the shepherd was saying, or they would recognize his voice, or he would whistle. There'd be something that the shepherd would do, and the sheep would connect. They would bond with that. And so they, when they were out in the field, that was, the, that was a sound that they always related to, and to, they would say, okay, that's my shepherd. Let's, let's follow his voice. Let's follow where he's going. They'd feel safe. And like I said, they, he'd lead them to water or, or to pasture. He always did good things for them, leading them, you know, besides still waters and the greener pastures, just like it says. And so they would recognize his voice. And so even though the sheep were mixed in this common sheepfold, when the shepherd came, he would call them by name, and they would come out. Only the ones that, that heard his voice would come out. But sometimes when the uh, uh, shepherd wasn't paying careful attention to these communal sheepfolds, robbers would want to come and steal sheep because it was, it was value, it was a commodity. And so they would try to sneak in, not through the gate, because the shepherd would be at the gate. They would sneak in by some other way. They would be robbers and thieves. And that's... He's talking, obviously, about Satan wants to come in 
not through the gate where the shepherd is protecting, but he wants to come around into our lives and he wants to steal our faith. He wants to steal those, those seeds that Jesus planted, uh, the seeds of salvation. And so that's the correlation here. Thieves and robbers would come and they'd, they'd sneak in over the wall. But the shepherd would, would typically, there wasn't always a real gate that the shepherd, whoever he was, would lay down where the, where the opening was. He would lie down so no one could get in or out without going through the shepherd. But the sheep would recognize uh, the voice of their shepherd. And it's like, that is like us. I'm sure that you know that. We know the voice of Jesus. And we know, as it's, when, the, when we read the Bible, we, know, we hear the voice of Jesus. We know it's truth. And that's, we, the Holy Spirit has, has helped us to understand that this is true. We don't need t- to wonder, well, is this verse true? Is this not true? We know it's true. We can accept that. So he calls us out by name, and he goes before us. The shepherd goes before us, leading us into greener pastures. Uh, in verse, um, uh, let's see. F- f- uh, yeah, I'm just going to read verse 4 again. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And once, and once again, uh, we recognize the calling of Jesus. We hear his voice uh, in his word. Uh, and there are many different ways that God speaks to us. I think he speaks to us through creation. As I said before, people say, prove to me that God's alive. Well, I see him in his creation. His creation was one of the things that brought me to him. I, I just recognized his creation, just looking up at the stars in heaven and the sun and the moon and the universe and how it works. You see uh, he, he, cre- the creation alive, and, and that calls out to us. Romans talks about that. People always worry about, uh, you know, some uh, Eskimo up, you know, in, in some island somewhere that never hears the word. But Romans talks about how nature is a witness for God's creation. You can believe in Jesus having never heard a Bible because you can recognize, you can look up and say, this is order, this is perfect. God's creation speaks. And so, uh, again, God is, we, we know the truth, uh, we know his voice, and we follow him. Um, in verse, uh, verse 7, it says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep uh, did not listen to me. So as I said, the, the shepherd oftentimes would lay in front of the gate. He would, he would be the gate, literal, the literal gate, and he would protect the sheep from anything coming in or out. And he is the only door to eternal life. Others would try to come in through other ways, but they, they could not offer eternal life. And he talks about uh, robbers uh, who would come and try to take that away. He's talking about false teachers, false prophets, uh, Satan, just so many uh, things in this world that want to separate us uh, from the love of God. So verse 8, again, it says, I am, I am the gate. Whoever enters in through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. And so that is what, as I said, the sheep, again, I don't think we're uh, called sheep because sheep are dumb. I think it's because 
they, they didn't need a lot of faith. All they needed to do was hear his voice, and they would follow him. And the shepherd always meant well for the sheep. He would protect them, feed them, give them water. He, he meant nothing but, but good for the sheep. In, uh, in verse uh, uh, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares uh, nothing for the sheep. And so here he's given the analogy that uh, he is going to lay down his life for the sheep because he has an investment in the sheep. A real shepherd uh, who owns the sheep, the sheep are an investment. They're his, his livelihood. They, they're, a, as I said, a commodity. They're worth money. They're, 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 they're wool. They're, they're, uh, you know, they're, if they decide to slaughter them for, for food, uh, but they, they're, they're value, have value. So the, shepherd, the true shepherd, the true owner, is going to do everything he can to protect them. Where a hired hand, he's just paid probably, they weren't paid very well. It, wasn't, it, was, it was a dirty job, and it wasn't, didn't, didn't pay very well. So if a, a hired hand is guiding the sheep and a wolf comes, well, he's going to run because what is, what he cares more about his own life. And that's true of a lot of... Uh, uh, false teachers that we see in the, in, in the churches. They're out for their own self-good, their own gain, what they can get out of it. Those you hear about in Matthew chapter 7, those doing things uh, supposedly in the name of God, but that really it's their selfish intent. And they'll run away when there's real uh, trouble. But the, the real shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. And in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep, and have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen, I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and there should be one flock and one shepherd. Because he's, he's telling them things they weren't quite ready to understand yet, and that's how Jesus originally came for the nation of Israel. And... Uh, you know that the nation ultimately uh, rejected the coming of Jesus when he came riding on a donkey. As uh, it was talked about in Daniel, those of you may have been able to sit under that study from uh, uh, about the weeks of Daniel there. Uh, the nation was cut off. So what he's talking about here is he has to bring other sheep in. The, the, the message of going to the Gentiles... Uh, they didn't understand that yet, uh, but though there are other sheep that need to be come in uh, to the sheepfold, and he was talking about the nation of Israel being cut off and uh, the Gentiles uh, being grafted in there. Um, in verse, uh, I'm going I'm to start at 16 again. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there should be one flock and one shepherd. And again, he's talking about unity. Uh, again, churches can get uh, bogged down uh, in debates about uh, menial things. Um, uh, 
but the fact is that we are united together in Jesus. So whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, we're all Christians and followers of Jesus. Uh, verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And so, again, going get back to God's intent and free will and being chosen and election, we know what God's will is. God says, I'm not willing that any should perish. Uh, we know that in John 3.16, God said he loved the world. There was no exclusions there. There were no exceptions. That, that encompassed every person that ever been born. God has a love for them, which we can't really understand because we're, we know we're commanded to love each other and we're commanded to love our enemies. It doesn't quite uh, come as natural to us. It's, it's very difficult sometimes. It's something we have to pray for, pray about, ask for wisdom, ask for help, pray for love, ask for love. We know that, that God's will is that none should perish. But as I said before, yes, God is a God of love, but if you want to look at the book of Revelation, you'll find out that there's a wide path of destruction, that God cannot dwell with sin, and he is a judging God, and those who reject Jesus will, will be destroyed, and they will be judged. But, but ultimately, God is a God of love, and the one desire of his heart is to have children that he could love. And, and I, again, as I said, this was a plan that Jesus and the Father had going back in sometime eternity past, before the, the whole uh, uh, system was, was uh, created, the, the heavens and the universe. And one day God will bring uh, a conclusion uh, that he ultimately uh, desires for, and that is to, to live and reign with him. But as I said, Jesus came God in the flesh. And that's, whoops, that's another uh, thing that I try to understand because every other religion promotes basically good works. In other words, you have to do something to prove you're good enough. And that's why so many uh, people in this world are hopeless. Can you imagine trying to do good works with no promise that there was any eternity for you? Um, and how, the despair and the hopelessness that must uh, create. And I also think about, uh, if you, when, you re, when I was reading through the New Testament, uh, it, it so, became so clear to me how many people are truly rejecting God. I, I, I don't understand that. When you read about in Revelation, when God's judgment is being brought down on the earth, and it's clear that people know who that judgment is coming from, and yet they still, in their hearts, they reject God. They, they quench their fist and they shake their fist at God because for, I, don't under, I cannot understand how they could reject knowing that there is a, a, a righteous God and a, judge, and a judging God. But again, God is love and his desire is to love his sheep, to love his children. And it says in Revelation... Uh, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and God will be our God, and we'll be his people. We'll see him face to face, and we don't know what God has in store for us, uh, but we know that uh, his purpose, look at the dropsies, I got too many 
too many markers in my Bible here. I should hold this this way. Uh, the final uh, thought on Jesus being the sh good shepherd is in John chapter 17. Now, as I said, I've read, you know, the Bible pro probably, well, many times. I have no idea how many times. Um, but hopefully we're all reading the Bible. Now, some, you know, I know people that are voracious readers, and they, they're, they're just reading constantly, and I'm not sure what they get out of it. Um, because a lot of people read, like, romance novels and murder mysteries and, you know, Harry Potter stuff. And, and you know, if you want to read that, that's fine. Uh, if I'm going to read something, I like to have, I like to gain some knowledge. I, I like it to be history, you know, you know, not you know, not fictional. I like it to be something. I like to learn something. But I would imagine if somebody read a book, let's say it was Harry Potter, you know, now maybe some will go back and read it again. But basically, you read the book, you know what happens. You may forget some of the details over time. But basically, the plot, you know, what happens, you know, nothing changes. So you go back and read it again, you're not going to go, oh, I, I, that's totally different. Now the, now, the Word of God never changes. Now, there are different interpretations, and, and that's another hang-up people have. You know, they, oh, you can only read this Bible, the other ones are condemned. Uh, I've, never, I've never seen one that denied Jesus. I mean, you know, NIV, New King James, Old King James... New Living Translation, you clearly can understand that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Savior. Um, but the Word of God, it, it doesn't change, the words don't change. But as I experimented over these past couple of months by just reading a different translation, I, I saw things, in a, I see things in a different way. And that inspires my faith to want to know God more. And that's the amazing thing about the Bible. We know it's a living, it's a two-edged sword, but the, the, the meaning and the applications can change every time you read it. You can be in a situation where, where a verse just jumps out at you and it's exactly what you need to read at that particular time. And it's, it just helps our soul, it helps our spirit, it helps to heal wounds, it helps to heal friendships, it, it it's, it's a healing word, and it always, even though we know Jesus is Lord, it helps to bring us closer and closer and closer to him. And so that was my, my uh, as I said, my experiment reading a different translation that really has inspired me uh, to know God, to know him more deeply. I don't want to get to heaven, and I, I mean, I, I know God knows. He knows me. He knows my name. He's not going to not know who I am. But I don't want to get there and be a stranger. You know, like, who are you? Who are you again? You know, I, I want to say, hey, I've been waiting for you. You know, I've been looking for you. I've been hoping you'd come, you know. So I want to know God uh, deeply, more deeply, while we have the time to do that. And that brings me to uh, John chapter 17. And I had a little conflict with this because... I wasn't sure how much to expound on it, how much to comment on it. John chapter 17, I re I've, I've read this lately 
in a way that I've never seen before. This is a personal letter from Jesus to his father regarding his love for his sheep. It's a prayer that he laid down his life, that he finished the work, and that he glorified the Father and he'll bring us to him. And again, over and over and over again, Jesus says, I will not lose any that you have given to me. And what I'd like to do is finish just by reading John chapter 17. And I may or may not comment. That was my debate. I think it would be better if I didn't because it speaks better for itself. But if you join with me, I'd just like to read uh, John chapter 17 and then just listen to Jesus and his love for the Father and his love for us, for the sheep. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given to him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the word has hated them. For they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth, and you sent me into the world. I have sent them into the world. For then I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, 
that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, through the world, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So here, it is, it is obvious how much God loves us and how much Jesus loves us. And over and over, over and over he says, I will not lose any that you have given to me. And he says, I want those you've given me to be with me. That's what, that's what the Father wants. He wants us to be with him in heaven, in glory, for all eternity. You know, I think about the song Amazing Grace when it says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begin. I don't want to spend 10,000 years on earth. It, that seems like a long, boring period of time. But I have a feeling in heaven, like somebody will say, hey, did you know 10,000 years have passed? You've got to be kidding me. Because... <laughs> It would be like not enough. You know, this world has, has we get, there are times when there's, there's too much. We don't, we don't want any more. You know, work or school or stress, the highway traffic, it's too much. We don't want any more. But in heaven, we'll never have enough because the joy of being with Jesus and the Father in heaven, time will be pointless. There is no time. You know, people think, well, it sounds boring, eternity. We'll never be aware of eternity because it'll always be now. It'll always be in that moment. You'll always be with Jesus in that moment. There's no eternity. But that is God's wish. That's God's prayer. That's his desire for you to be in his presence. And that was his plan when he came to die for us. So, again, if you've made that decision, then I, I would just encourage myself and you just to draw closer to God, to know him better now. If you haven't made that decision, you know, we don't know what tomorrow holds. You know? That's a decision you should make right now. And it's very simple. It's just confessing that you're a sinner and, and asking God to, to forgive you. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he's risen from the dead and you'll be saved. And you'll be called. You'll be the chosen one. Uh, so let's praise God and let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, the word of God, which uh, helps us to know you better. And Father, my prayer for myself and for us here at Calvary is just to know you better by serving you here in this community by telling others. You know, you prayed that, uh, you were praying for others, not only that have heard the message, but will, that will hear our message. And so that's our job, Lord, tell others about your love for them. And so we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to know you better through your word and just pray that you'd help Calvary Chapel uh, to be faithful here in North Kingstown and, and, and welcoming others into the ministry, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we give you the praise and thanksgiving. Amen. Let's uh, stand and sing uh, praises to God.